Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I'm going to cover a paper that was released fairly recently, uh, July 11th, 2023. The title of the paper is The Proximal Origin of a Cover-Up. Did the Bethesda Boys Downplay a Lab Leak? Yeah, I think they did. And it was put out by the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic by Chairman Brad Wenstrup. So I'm going to go into this, but... It goes into a paper that was promoted by Dr. Evil Anthony Fauci about how this virus supposedly came from a bat. And uh, his the person who took over at the NIAIH or whatever the, uh, is now Marazzo. And so I'm going to play a video of her like childishly promoting the story of the zoonotic origins of the supposed virus and uh, how it's impossible. And I've also had a doctor on who said the likelihood of this virus coming from some kind of animal is like one in a trillion, like it's impossible. There's too many active changes on it. So it's obviously been tampered with in a lab, the original COVID, not the gene therapy kill shot. But uh, we're still trying to get to the bottom of it. These people are as well, but I think it's uh, this proximate Origin from a bat is just a total uh, charade, fantasy land uh, myth. But I'm going to play this video. This is really remarkable. This is the new person that they've seen. seen this virus in humans before, and I'm going to bring out my little props right now. So I'm sure you know what this is. Bats are really interesting. Bats have a lot of coronaviruses, um, and they do fine with them. They live like totally healthy with them until those viruses get into another species. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a special species that has been implicated in this particular virus called the pangolin. I know that looks kind of like a bear, but it's really supposed to be a pangolin. It has all these scales. And so the virus goes from one host where it lives fine and doesn't really cause any problems, jumps into another animal. And then when we disturb that animal's home, like go into the forest, chop the trees down, whatever, um, and maybe bring those animals home as pets where they really don't want to be pets, we can get exposed to those kinds of viruses. And if we as humans have never seen them before, our bodies don't know what to do. And we have never seen this virus in humans before. And I'm going to bring out my little props right now. So I'm sure you know what this is. Bats are really interesting. Bats have a lot of coronaviruses um, and they do fine with them. They live like totally healthy with them until those viruses get into another species. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a special species that has been implicated in this particular virus called the pangolin. I know that looks kind of like a bear, but it's really supposed to be a pangolin. It has all these scales. And so the virus goes from one host where it lives fine and doesn't really cause any problems, jumps into another animal. And then when we disturb that animal's home, like go into the forest, chop the trees down, whatever, um, and maybe bring those animals home as pets where they really don't want to be pets, we can get exposed to those kinds of viruses. And if we as humans have never seen them before, our bodies don't know what to do. And we have never seen this virus in humans before. So that was uh, Dr. Gene Marazzo. So that's the new kind of librarian looking head of the NIAID. So they put somebody out there, it looks like... Uh, 
little easier to uh, digest than the evil Fauci, but she's probably going to kill a lot of people too. This kid right here has probably got uh, one in 30 chance. He's probably got all his, his gene therapy shots. One in 30 chance of myocarditis dead in five years. I mean, it's, when you look at it that way, it's like she's totally lying. But let's get back to this document. I'm going to read through it. Again, the title is The Proximal Origin of a Cover-Up. Did the Bethesda Boys Downplay a Lab Leak? And it goes into the most read medical article ever in human history that was put out by Fauci. And uh, we'll go through it and uh, analyze all that. A lot of these names are around. They've been in front of Congress. <clears throat> but the this original article, as you'll read or hear, uh, was read 5.84 million times. This proximal origin article that was baloney about how the virus came from a bat. So it's part of the, the huge cover-up. Executive summary. On February 16th, 2020, Dr. Andrew Rambau, on behalf of himself and his co-authors, Christian Anderson, Dr. Ian Lipkin, Dr. Edward Holmes, and Dr. Robert Geary, posted the proximal origins of SARS-CoV-2 on the website Viral Logical. One month later, on March 17th, 2020, the proximal origin of SARS-CoV-2 proximal origin was published in Nature Medicine. Proximal origin expressed two primary conclusions. One, COVID-19 is not a laboratory construct or a purposefully manipulated virus. And two, we do not believe that any type of laboratory-based scenario is plausible. Since Proximal Origin was published, it has been accessed 5.84 million times. Further, it has garnered the third most attention of any paper of a similar age across all journals and the second most attention of any paper of a similar age in nature medicine. Finally, it has received the fifth most attention of any paper ever tracked. This is one of the single most impactful and influential scientific papers in history, and it expressed conclusions that were not based on sound science, nor in fact, but instead on the assumptions. The question is why. Since April 2020, House Republicans, specifically the Select Committee on the Coronavirus Pandemic and the Committee on Oversight and Accountability have been investigating the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. The guy I had on was Reed Sheftall. He was talking about the origins of the virus. So you can listen to him. I'll try to put a link in the show notes. <clears throat> this includes whether in investigating whether their government officials, there's that word again, investigating, particularly Dr. Anthony Fauci or Dr. Francis Collins, exerted any undue influence over proximal origin to wrongly downplay the theory that COVID-19 is the result of a laboratory or research-related incident. As of July 11th, 2023, the Select Subcommittee has re received more than 8,000 pages of documents from the U.S.-based Proximal Origin contributors and conducted five transcribed interviews, resulting in almost 25 hours of testimony. This report is the culmination of that work. On January 31st, 2020, Dr. Fauci suggested directly to Dr. Anderson draft a paper regarding a possible lab leak of COVID-19. Dr. Fauci warned that if Dr. Anderson determined that COVID-19 was the result of a lab leak, then he would need to contact law, law enforcement. The next day, February 1st, this time on a conference call with 11 international scientists and included Dr. Collins and Dr. Tabak, Dr. Fauci again suggested drafting a paper regarding a possible lab leak. It was these two suggestions that prompted Dr. Anderson to begin drafting. A draft of what would, be, would become proximal origin was completed within hours. 
After publication, proximal origin was used to downplay the lab leak hypothesis and call those who believe it may be true conspiracy theorists. Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins tracked the paper through the review and publication process. And finally, Dr. Collins expressed dismay when proximal origin did not successfully kill the lab leak theory. He subsequently asked Dr. Fauci if there was anything more they could do. The next day, Dr. Fauci directly cited proximal origin from the White House podium. On January 31st, 2020, Dr. Fauci prompted proximal origin, which his goal was to disprove the lab leak theory to avoid blaming China for the COVID-19 pandemic. Proximal origin employed fatally flawed science to achieve its goal. And finally, Dr. Collins and Dr. Fauci used proximal origin to attempt to kill the lab leak theory. This is the anatomy of a cover-up. The beginning of proximal origin. The beginnings of proximal origin can be traced back to January 31st, 2020. One day before the now infamous February 1st conference call with Dr. Fauci, Dr. Collins, and nearly a dozen international scientists. Prior to discussion of the idea for a paper, it is important to establish what Dr. Fauci knew by January 31st, 2020. Dr. Fauci was aware of the monetary relationship between the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID, the National Institutes of Health, NIH, EcoHealth Alliance, EcoHealth, and the Wuhan Institute of Virology, WIV, despite claiming otherwise on numerous occasions. In addition to funding novel coronavirus research at the WIV, Wuhan Institute of Virology, Fauci was aware, or should, should have been aware, that one, NIAID worked with EcoHealth to craft a grant policy to sidestep gain-of-function research moratorium at the time. This policy, designed by EcoHealth and acquiesced by, to by NIAID, allowed EcoHealth to conduct and complete dangerous experiments with very little oversight at the WIV that would have otherwise been blocked by the moratorium. Two, EcoHealth was not in compliance with the grant that provided funds to the WIV. EcoHealth was required to submit its fifth annual progress report by September 30th, 2019, and yet had had to and yet had to done so by January 31st, 2020. It became clear later that EcoHealth hid this particular progress report to presumably hide gain-of-function experiment conducted, hide a gain-of-function experiment conducted on a potentially infectious and lethal novel coronavirus. Three, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was operating with undertrained technicians and at a substandard, substandard biosafety level. While under these conditions, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was working on novel coronaviruses and for viral gain of function research is inherently dangerous. And Dr. Fauci is a proponent of this research, previously stating important information can come from generating a potentially dangerous virus in the laboratory. By January 31st, 2020, Dr. Fauci knew that NIAID provided funding to the Wuhan Institute of Virology via EcoHealth. EcoHealth and the WIV were conducting potentially dangerous gain-of-function research on novel coronaviruses. This research was being conducted with lackluster oversight. EcoHealth was not in compliance with their grant reporting requirements, and the WIV was operating at an insufficient biosafety level with poorly trained technicians and that he had previously advocated for gain-of-function research to be conducted on deadly viruses. 
Further, by January 20, January 31st, 2020, Dr. Fauci also knew that there was a novel coronavirus ripping across the world that had never seen that had never before seen features, some of which could be research derived, and that the United States just announced a public health emergency. All of these facts demonstrate that if this virus was the result of a laboratory or research-related incident, Dr. Fauci had a lot to lose. The story of proximal origin begins in January 2020. January 2020. According to Dr. Jeremy Farrar, the initial discussions regarding the sequence of COVID-19 and any unusual aspects began on January 8th or 9th. At that point, it is unclear what the concerns were or who exactly was involved. However, the select subcommittee has subsequently learned those early calls included Chinese officials and Dr. Collins. It is unclear what, if any, information Dr. Collins gathered and if this information was subsequently shared with any U.S. government officials. And here's, uh, there's a lot of examples of, of emails in this. So this is from Jeremy Farrar to Christian Anderson, Holmes, and Fauci. Thanks, Eddie. I will recheck emails and phones. I will try to do that today. I really think it starts on the 8th, 9th of January, the calls you and I had with China in the original sequence. And others were also on those calls, Collins, Ferguson, Valance. I would suggest we get the sequence of events absolutely right before replying. Best wishes, Jeremy. According to Dr. Farrar, he became aware of chatter suggesting the virus looked almost engineered to infect human cells in the last week of January. In Dr. Farrar's own words, that got my mind racing. This was a brand new virus that seemingly sprang from nowhere, except that this pathogen had surfaced in Wuhan, a city with a BSL-4 virology lab, which is home to an almost unrivaled collection of bat viruses. Dr. Farrar's concern, first concern, was not the well-being of the planet, but instead, could the novel coronavirus be anything to do with gain-of-function GOF studies? This is a type of research that Dr. Farrar, much like Dr. Fauci, believes to be ultimately useful. In addition to concerns that the pandemic resulted from gain-of-function research, Dr. Farrar was also concerned about U.S.-Sino relations, an interesting position for a British scientist to take. Dr. Farrar said... U.S.-China politics were in a bad place in January 2020. It was obvious that people would soon begin hunting for a scapegoat for what was rapidly turning into a global, global health disaster. Trump was seeking to blame the virus on China and was calling it the China virus and Kung flu. The security services in the U.S. were on a high alert for any hint that would prop up the accusations. This theme of scientists attempting to be international relations experts prevails throughout the conception, drafting, and publication of Proximal Origin and explains the hesitancy to blame China or otherwise say COVID-19 may have been the result of Chinese negligence. Around the same time, Dr. Anderson shared his concerns regarding the possibility the COVID-19 pandemic was the result of a lab leak and that it had properties that may have been genetically modified or engineered, specifically the furin cleavage site with Dr. Holmes. According to Dr. Holmes, Dr. Anderson texted, Eddie, can we talk? I need to be pulled off a ledge here. Dr. Anderson went on to express concerns regarding two distinct aspects of the virus, the receptor binding domain, RBD, and the fern cleavage site. Dr. Anderson also found a paper written by Dr. Ralph Barrick and Dr. Zheng Li Shi that purported to have inserted furin cleavage sites into SARS. 
As recounted by Dr. Farrar, this paper was a how-to manual for building the Wuhan coronavirus in a laboratory. Dr. Holmes responded, F-U-C-K, this is bad. And oh my God, what worse words than that? On January 30th, 2020, Dr. Holmes relayed Dr. Anderson's concerns to Dr. Farrar via his burner phone. Dr. Anderson called Dr. Holmes, saying that Dr. Farrar acted as Holmes's handler. Then, as Dr. Holmes characterized it, the conversations went from zero to 100. January 31st, 2020. During a transcribed interview with select subcommittee staff, Dr. Anderson testified that after discussing his concerns with Dr. Farrar, they began to organize a conference call. The February 1st conference call was to be a forum for Dr. Anderson to walk through my concerns and then discuss it. Dr. Anderson testified, and Jeremy Farrar gets all of this set up. He, I'm sure, has been in touch with Tony Fauci at the time, reaches out to Dr. Fauci, asks him to call me. It is unclear whether Dr. Farrar and Dr. Fauci had significant contact prior to the call, but it was at this point that Dr. Farrar alert, alerted Dr. Fauci to potential concerns, and they began orchestrating a conference call. Dr. Fauci's assistant replied, we'll call shortly. Presumably, Drs. Fauci and Farrar discussed the concerns raised by Dr. Anderson and Dr. Holmes because after their call, Dr. Farrar responds to Dr. Fauci and asks him to call Dr. Anderson, stating, the people involved are Christian Anderson, Bob Gary, and Eddie Holmes. Dr. Fauci then memorialized his January 31st conversation with Dr. Anderson. In this email, Dr. Fauci raises direct concerns regarding the furin cleavage site directs Dr. Anderson to get a group of evolutionary biologists together to examine carefully the data to determine if his concerns are validated, and states that if there is a possibility COVID-19 came back from a lab leak, they would need to report it to the appropriate authorities. This appears to be Dr. Fauci's first mention of setting up a conference call. Dr. Fauci concludes by saying, I will alert my U.S. government official colleagues of my conversation and determine what further investigation they recommend. It is unclear what exact steps, if any, Dr. Fauci took next. And then there's the email here, January 31st, NIAID. According to Dr. Anderson, this was the first time he had ever spoken to Dr. Fauci personally, outside of potential interactions at conferences. It was also on the January 31st phone call between Drs. Fauci and Anderson when the first discussion of a paper regarding a possible lab leak took place. And this is from the thing. Was this the first time you had ever spoken to Dr. Fauci, like personally? Anderson, probably, yeah, outside of conference. Sure, yes, 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 absolutely, yes. <clears throat> so you think, I think you testified, and you could correct me if this isn't a fair characterization, that Dr. Fauci suggested a peer-reviewed paper of some kind. When did this suggestion happen? Anderson, that happened again. The first phone call I had with him, which was immediately prior, I think a day prior, right, to the conference call itself where I relayed my initial concerns and findings. He specifically suggested considering writing a peer-reviewed publication on it. And specifically, I remember him he hearing him saying that if you think this came from a lab, you should write this up as a peer-reviewed paper. So it can be judged by peer community, basically, yeah. <clears throat> what happened next, what transpired next has been well documented. 
Dr. Fauci's chief of staff, Mr. Greg Folkers, forwarded him an article titled Mining Coronavirus Genomes for Clues to the Outbreak's Origins. This article directly mentions the Barrick Shi paper that Dr. Anderson found alarming before and links EcoHealth to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Dr. Fauci forwards the paper to Dr. Farrar and Dr. Anderson and says, this just came out today. You may have seen it. If not, it is of interest to the current discussion. Dr. Anderson responded. Hi, Tony. Thanks for sharing. Yes, I saw this earlier today, and both Eddie and myself are actually quoted in it. It's a great article. But the problem is that our phylogenetic analyses aren't able to answer whether the sequences are unusual at individual residues, except if they are completely off. On a phylogenetic tree, the virus looks totally normal, and the close clustering with bats suggests that bats serve as the reservoir. The unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome. So one has to look really closely at all the sequences to see if some of the features potentially look engineered. We have a good team lined up to look very critically at this, so we should know much more about the end of the week by the end of the weekend. I should mention that after discussions earlier today, Eddie, Bob, Mike, and myself all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from ev evolutionary theory. But we have to look at this much more closely, and there are still further analyses to be done, so these opinions still could change, best Christian. Dr. Anderson clarified what unusual fe features he was referencing. So this is in his deposition. Which features at that time were you talking about? Yeah, I'm talking about like the fern cleavage site, the receptor binding domain, and a few things associated with that, the BAMH1 restriction site that I mentioned, as well as some features associated with that. Basically, what I ended up presenting the next day at the conference call. Dr. Anderson subsequently confirmed that when he said the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory, he meant he thought COVID-19 could have been engineered. Question, was it, was it the furin cleavage site that the RBD and the RBD that looked inconsist inconsistent from evolutionary theory? Anderson, when I'm saying the genome is inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory, it's a bit of a fancy way of basically saying, like, look, guys, I think this could be could be engineered. The next day, on February 1st, February 1st, 2020, a group of scientists, including Dr. Fauci, gathered via conference call for Dr. Anderson to present these findings and discuss a path forward. February 1st, 2020. On February 1st, 2020, Dr. Farrar emails a large group to set up a conference call to discuss Dr. Anderson's concerns about the origins of COVID-19. The article attendee list included Anderson, Gary, Drosten, Fauci, Ferguson, Fouchier, Holmes, Koopmans, Pullman, Rambau, Schreier, and Valance. Despite the invite being sent on February 1st, Dr. Anderson testified that he was aware of the potential call of a call prior to February 1st. Question. When did you first learn of this call? Was it when the roster was sent out February 1st? Anderson. No, I knew that this call was going to happen because Eddie and myself had talked about it, and I talked to Jeremy Farrar. This is where I became aware of all the details surrounding the conference call. During a transcribed interview with select subcommittee staff, Dr. Gary testified he was also aware of the conference call prior to February 1st. Question. Were you invited to this call? 
Dr. Gary, I believe I received an email from Jeremy Farrar. To the best of your recollection, recollection, what day was that? For Gary, probably the day before or almost two days before, but I think it was the day before. In addition to Dr. Fauci, the select subcommittee is aware that at least two other federal government officials were on the call despite not being on the official roster, Dr. Collins and Dr. Lawrence Tabak. It appears from the emails that Dr. Fauci personally invited Dr. Collins. There's an email here. Francis will be on the call. He's trying to phone you. On March 24th, 2023, the select subcommittee wrote to Dr. Fauci requesting he clarify whether he personally invited Dr. Collins to the conference call. On March 27th, 2023, his counsel responded on his behalf, stating, as one would reasonably expect, Dr. Fauci advised his immediate supervisor, Dr. Francis Collins, that the call was taking place. Dr. Collins expressed an interest in joining the call. This statement does not refute that Dr. Fauci invited Dr. Collins to join the conference call. The select subcommittee now also believes that Dr. Tabak, the current acting director of NIH, was also on the conference call. If this is accurate, that means that the director of the NIH, the deputy director of the NIH, and the director of NIAID all participated in the conference call. Dr. Anderson recounted what he presented on the conference call. Question, what and what, to the best of your recollection, and briefly, what did you present on the call? Anderson, I presented the main findings I had, which was some of the features that I found to be unusual in the viral genome, including the receptor binding domain, the furin cleavage site, the damage, one site which is a restriction site, and also just outlining some of the research that had been ongoing at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And I had a presentation, which you have as part of your exhibits too. Question. Regarding the Wuhan Institute of Virology, what did you present? Answer. Just in broad terms, the fact that they were culturing viruses from bats or attempting to culture viruses from bats, isolate viruses from bat samples, which is not easy, in BSL-2, and also some of their chimeric work using Wuhan Institute of Virology-1, for example, which is a common backbone that they are using, as well as just the general strategies around creating chimeric viruses, much of which I believe was done in BSL-2, and as I mentioned, animal work in BSL-3. But those were my sort of concerns around the research and the reason, of course, for why we need to consider a potential lab leak as a scientific, scientific hypothesis, yes. Dr. Anderson testified further that the primary participants on the call were himself, Dr. Rambeau, Dr. Holmes, Dr. Christian Drosten, Dr. Ron Fouchier, Dr. Marion Koopmans. During their transcribed interviews, both Drs. Gary and Anderson were asked about any comments made by Drs. Fauci or Collins on the conference call, according to Gary. Did Dr. Fauci say anything? Answer, he didn't say a whole lot. To your recollection, what did he say? Answer, he just acknowledged that he was there, but the details are not really clear. He really didn't say much of substance. It was, you know, I mean, Jeremy Farrar was clearly sort of introducing and ending the meeting. It was his call to make. Neither Fauci or Collins really had much to say other than just, you know, maybe a point of clarification here or there. Question, was Dr. Collins on the call? He was on the call. What I remember was 
he was basically on and off the call because I think he was having some kind of a social event at the time. So he did come on and off, but he, you know, he made his presence, you know, I'm just here basically known a couple of times. Question, was that, to your recollection, was that the substance of his speaking role? Answer, he really didn't offer anything scientifically. According to Dr. Anderson, on the conference call, we talked a little bit about it. What do you recall Dr. Fauci saying if he said anything? Answer, I honestly don't remember Dr. Fauci, Collins. I believe there might have been other NIH contingents on the call, too. They probably had some questions, but I don't recollect that they they certainly didn't add anything of substance to the scientific discussion. Again, the discussions were, Jeremy said a few things to sort of set up the call, and here's what we're going to do. But otherwise, the conversation was just between myself, Eddie Holmes, Andy Rambau, Christian Drusten, Ron Fouchier in particular, so among the ex experts present on the call. Question, do you recall Dr. Collins saying anything on the conference call? Answer, I do not. During their interviews, both Drs. Anderson and Gary were asked if Dr. Fauci ever directed them to write a paper regarding the origins of COVID-19. Dr. Gary testified he never directed that to me. However, Dr. Gary clarified, I'm not privy to all the communications that Dr. Fauci had with the other authors. Dr. Anderson testified that in addition to Dr. Fauci suggesting a paper about a potential lab leak on January 31st, 2020, on the February 1st call, Dr. Fauci encouraged to, you know, to follow the scientific process on which, on this, which ultimately ends up in peer-reviewed publications. Dr. Anderson clarified that Dr. Fauci specifically mentioned drafting a peer-reviewed paper on January 31st, stating, he specifically mentioned that if I believe this was a lab leak, I should consider writing a peer-reviewed paper on it. This is evidenced by Dr. Anderson's own emails. And there's an email here. Dear, uh, yeah. Dear Claire, you must be crazy busy at the moment. I wanted to reach out to you to see if there would be interest in receiving a commentary hypothesis piece on the evolutionary origins of SARS-CoV-2. There's been a lot of speculation, fear-mongering, and conspiracies put forward in this space. And we thought that bringing some clarity to this discussion might be of interest to nature. Prompted, prompted by Jeremy Farrar, Tony Fauci, and Francis Collins, Eddie Holmes, Andrew Rambout, Bob Gary, Ian Lipkin, and myself have been working through much of the primary genetic data to provide agnostic and scientifically informed hypotheses around the origins of the virus. We are not quite finished with the write-up, and we still have some loose ends, but I wanted to reach out to you to see if this might potentially be of interest. We see this more as a commentary hypothesis as, as opposed to a more long-form letter or article. Best Christian. When asked about this email, Dr. Gary testified, did Dr. Anderson ever express this to you, the feeling that he was prompted by Dr. Farr, Farrar, Dr. Fauci, or Dr. Collins? Answer, I mean, I think in the broad sense. Yeah, I'm not quite so sure how to answer that. I mean, you know, this is the first time I'm actually seeing this email, the way he wrote it here. So I'm a little surprised that he wrote it that way. I probably wouldn't have written it that way, this way. But, you know, I think you're probably going to have to ask Christian what he thought about, you know, why he put it that way. Maybe he was, you know, I don't know. I really shouldn't speculate on that. You probably need to ask him. When asked about this email, Dr. Anderson confirmed that he was referencing the January 31st phone call with Dr. Fauci. Question, what did you mean prompted by Jeremy Farrar, Tony Fauci, and Francis Collins? Anderson answers. 
I mean specifically that, again, as I've already explained, is that they prompted us to the idea of seriously considering the origin of the virus and to consider producing a paper on that. And again, remember my first conversation with Tony Fauci, where he specifically suggests that I think this came from the lab. I should consider writing a scientific paper on it. Question. So that's what the prompt he was referencing, that first conversation. Answer correct. Through its investigation, the select subcommittee has learned that Dr. Fauci and the NIH exerted more influence over the conference call than previously disclosed. Further, by the end of the February 1st conference call, Dr. Fa Dr. Fauci had suggested the drafting of a paper regarding the potential of a lab leak to Dr. Anderson twice. This suggestion was what prompted Dr. Anderson to draft Proximal Origin. Drafting and editing the Proximal Origin. The first draft of a report that would become Proximal Origin was completed by 7.40 p.m. on February 1st, only hours after the conference call. While it may not have been the goal of the conference call, a written product of some sort was certainly discussed and contemplated on the February 1st conference call, as Dr. Gary testified. Well, you know, of course, we had the teleconference on February 1st, 2020, and we had already, you know, had many discussions amongst ourselves, I mean, and by ourselves, I mean, Christian and Eddie and Andrew and I with other people. So there were sort of, sort of notions of ideas, ideas circulating around. And you know the possibility of the paper, we're scientists. We write papers. We communicate. We do, you know, we do science communication. That's sort of the final stamp on a lot of work that you might do is write up a paper. So, of course, I think that was in everyone's mind. So I think by, you know, by that February 1st teleconference, you want to market there. I mean, it didn't take too many days after that. The stated goals. The goal of proximal origin was not to discover the origin of COVID-19, nor protect from future pandemics, but instead to disprove the lab leak theory. On two separate occasions, Dr. Anderson, Anderson stated just that. First, on February 8th, 2020, Dr. Anderson wrote, our main work over the past couple of weeks has been focused on trying to disprove any type of lab theory, but we are at a crossroad where scientific evidence isn't conclusive enough to say that we have high confidence in any of the three main theories considered. Second, on February 20th, 2020, Dr. Anderson, in trying to defend the viability of proximal origin, wrote, Unfortunately, none of this helps refute a lab origin and the possibility must be considered as a serious scientific theory, which is what we do, and not dismissed out of hand as another conspiracy theory. We all really, really wish that we could do that. That's how this got started. But unfortunately, it's just not possible given the data. There's a couple of uh, emails talking about it. From February 8th is Anderson. A lot of good discussion here. I just wanted to add a couple of things for context that I think are important and why what we're considering is far from another conspiracy theory, but it's rather taking a valid scientific approach to a question that is being increasingly asked by the public media scientists and politicians. I've been contacted by Science, New York Times, and many other news outlets over the last couple of days about this exact question. To Ron's questions, passage of SARS-like coves have been ongoing for several years, and more specifically in Wuhan under BSL-2 conditions. The fact that Wuhan became the epicenter of the ongoing epidemic caused by COVID-2 and COVID-2 is likely an unfortunate coincidence, but it raises questions that would be wrong to dis dismiss out of hand. 
For now, giving the lab theory serious consideration has been highly effective at countering many of the circulating conspiracy theories, including HIV, recombinants, bioengineering, etc. So it's kind of doing these long emails. He's uh, emailing guys, where's this Claire Thomas Nature? In addition to the specific goal of disproving the lab leak theory, according to Dr. Farrar, proximal origin was to be a go-to scientific statement to refer to. Two, possible motives. The first possible motive to downplay the lab leak theory is an interest by those involved to defend China and play diplomat. This motive was expressed by numerous individuals, including Dr. Farrar, Dr. Rambo, Dr. Anderson, Dr. Fouchier, and Dr. Collins. Dr. Rambo, on February 2nd, 2020, communicating over a private Slack channel with doctors Anderson, Holmes, and Gary, wrote, given that the SHIT show that would happen if anyone serious accused the Chinese of even accidental release, my feeling is we should say that given there is no evidence of a specifically engineered virus, we cannot possibly distinguish between natural evolution and escape, so we are content with ascribing it to natural process. Wow. Dr. Anderson, in response to Dr. Rambeau's message above, Dr. Anderson replied, yep, I totally agree, but that's a very reasonable conclusion. Although I hate it when politics is injected into science, but it's impossible not to, especially given the circumstances. Separately, having all of these discussions is really critical to countering all the frigging BS coming out at the end of the day. That's probably the most important things that will come out of this. That's what Anderson wrote. Dr. Fouchier. Dr. Fouchier, in emails following the February 1st conference call, stated, further debate about such accusations would unnecessarily distract top researchers from their active duties and do unnecessary harm to science in general, and science in China in particular. Wow. Dr. Collins, in emails following the February 1st conference call, stated, the voices of conspiracy, voices of conspiracy will quickly dominate doing great potential harm to science and international harmony. The second possible motive to downplay the lab leak theory was to lessen the likelihood of increased biosafety and laboratory regulations. This was expressed by Dr. Farrar. In addition, Dr. Fouchier summed up similar sentiments in an email where he wrote, this manuscript would be much stronger if it focused on the likelihood of the first two scenarios as compared to intentional or accidental release. That would also limit the chance of new biosafety discussion that would unnecessarily obstruct future attempts of virus culturing for research and diagnostic purposes for any emerging zoonotic virus. This paper is so amazing. This is just incredible insight into what these scientists were doing. Like it is off the charts. They were gaming the whole thing instead of being totally objective, trying to get to the problem. They politicized the whole thing to, to, to protect themselves, to protect what they thought was science, to protect the research. I cannot overstate the importance of this paper. People understand what's going on. It was a bioweapon. The first virus, the SARS-CoV-2, was made in a lab. It was gain-of-function research. Wow, it's just off the charts. The people in the whole like virus psyop, like people who don't think virus, all viruses are are aggregations of uh, genetic material so if you say there's no viruses that means you do believe there's no dna there's no crispr there's no gene therapy like you have to believe 
all that stuff doesn't exist either. That there's no DNA in any one of your cells. So that's a whopper. Yeah, so this is really just incredible information they've compiled. And that was my uh, editorial statement. So getting back to the document. <clears throat> Three, the involvement of Dr. Fauci, Dr. Collins, and Dr. Farrar. Throughout the drafting process, the authors of Proximal Origin were keenly aware of the influence of Dr. Fauci, Dr. Collins, and Dr. Farrar. It appears a draft of Proximal Origin did not leave the authorship group until on or around February 4th or 5th. Dr. Anderson wrote to Drs. Holmes, Gary, and Rambeau, unless others have further comments, I'd say this is ready to go up the chain. Dr. Holmes responds, works for me. Should I quickly check with Jeremy to see if he is happy for it to be circulated to the higher group? A few hours later, Dr. Holmes sends his first summary to Dr. Farrar. It's just emails here. <clears throat> Dr. Farrar immediately sent the draft to Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins. That's February 4th. In response to the draft, Dr. both Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins expressed concern regarding the proper paper's inclusion of serial passage in a lab as a viable origin option. Dr. Collins wrote, repeated tissue culture passage is still an option, though it doesn't explain the O-linked glycans. And I'd be interested in the proposal of accidental lab passage in animals. Which ones? Dr. Fauci responded, Serial passage in ACE2 transgenic mice. After Dr. Farrar received their concerned responses, it appears he recounted them to Dr. Holmes because Dr. Holmes emailed the other authors. This is apparently a question relayed based off feedback from Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins. Around this time, the authors were awaiting new sequences. Dr. Holmes wondered, should I tell Jeremy to hold sending the summary out to the group while we investigate more or does that really matter? Did he, he did say that, that more wildlife needed to be studied. He sent it to the Bethesda boys, right? That's the title of this uh, article, which is the proximal origin of a cover-up. Did the Bethesda boys downplay a lab leak? Dr. Rambos responds, perhaps we are adding new information. See whether he wants to hold off. I suspect Bethesda will be sending it around today already. These are apparent references to Dr. Fauci and Collins, as Dr. Carrieri testified. Question, who do you think the Bethesda boys are? Answer, I'm not 100% sure, but I can make an educated guess that this was Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins. Question, is your estimation that Bethesda also refers to Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins? Answer, yes. Further, Dr. An Anderson testified. Question, who is Dr. Holmes referencing when he says Bethesda boys? Answer, I don't know but I assume he means the NIH folks and them. So that would be my best guess. Yeah. Question. Is it, is it your same presumption that he's referencing NIH answer? That's my assumption. Yes. On February 7th, 2020, Dr. Farrar said, we'll share with teleconference group over the weekend. On February 8th, Dr. Farrar forwards a draft of proximal origin to the same participants of the February 1st conference call further linking that call to the conception of proximal origin. Within hours of receiving the draft, Dr. Fauci clearly worried about the possibility of serial passage in animals in a lab and asked the whole group, would serial passage in an animal in the laboratory give the same result as prolonged adaptation in animals in the wild? Or is there something that is fundamentally different in what happens when you serial passage versus 
natural animal adaption. Dr. Gary responds, it's possible to fairly rapidly select for more pathogenic variants in the laboratory, thus confirming Dr. Fauci's fear of a potential lab leak. It is clear that all four authors from the early stages were concerned with Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins' thoughts regarding proximal origin. In addition to Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins' involvement, Dr. Farrar led the drafting process and made at least one uncredited direct edit to proximal origin. Dr. Farrar, however, is not credited as having any involvement in the drafting and publication of Proximal Origin, when in fact he led the drafting process and made it direct substantive edits to the publication. Right before publication on February 17th, 2020, Dr. Lipkin emailed Dr. Farrar to thank him for leading the drafting process of Proximal Origin, to which Dr. Farrar responded that he will push the publisher. There's the email from Farrar, February 17. Yes, I know, in the U.S., why so keen to get out ASAP? I will push neighbor, nature. Excuse me. Further, Dr. Anderson testified that Dr. Farrar was the father figure of proximal origin. In addition to leading the drafting and publication process, Dr. Farrar made at least one direct edit to proximal origin. This evidence suggests that Dr. Farrar was more involved in the drafting and publication of proximal origin than previously known and possibly possibly should have been recredited or acknowledged for this involvement. The involvement of Dr. Lipkin. Dr. Lipkin was the only author of proximal origin that was not on the original February 1st conference call. Dr. Lipkin confirmed that he was not even invited to the conference call and he had no prior knowledge of the call taking place. Additionally, Dr. Lipkin testified, question, when did you eventually learn of the call? Answer, actually, I learned of it far more recently than you might expect. I can't tell you precisely when, but I did not know about it in February of 2020. Question, the existence of the call or what was communicated on the call was not communicated to you during the drafting of Proximal Origin. Answer, that is correct. <clears throat> Despite the first draft of Proximal Origin being completed on February 1st, Dr. Lipkin was not invited to join it was not sent to draft until February 10th. In that email, Dr. Holmes stated, I'll have to chat with Jeremy in a little while to see if I can get you more directly involved. It is unclear why Dr. Farrar had approved approval over Dr. Lipkin's involvement. Prior to being added as an author, Dr. Lipkin spoke to Dr. Holmes a few times. On at least one occasion, Dr. Lipkin raised concerns regarding the furin cleavage site. As Dr. Holmes recounted on February 10th, Ian Lipkin just called, very worried about the furin cleavage site, and says that high ups are as well, including Intel. Dr. Holmes later said, I think Ian thinks it's from a lab. After reading the draft shared with him, Dr. Lipkin responded, it's well-reasoned and provides a plausible argument against genetic engineering. It does not eliminate the possibility of inadvertent release following adaptation through selection in culture at the Institute in Wuhan. Given the scale of the Bat-Cove research pursued there and the site of emergence of the first human cases, we have a nightmare of circumstantial evidence to assess, Ian. Dr. Gary testified that Dr. Lipkin made a nice authorship contribution, and he read the paper many times and made some good comments back and forth. However, it appears Dr. Lipkin was not added as an author for his expertise, but instead for gravitas. Dr. Lipkin testified that he believed he was added to proximal origin because of his expertise. 
Question, why do you think Dr. Holmes, Holmes invited you to join as an author? Answer, I had written an article on why the risk of wild animal markets. I sent it to him, asked him to be a co-author with me. He agreed. And my guess is that it was in that context that he invited me to join this paper. However, this is not what the other authors discussed when considering whether to add him to the group. According to Dr. Holmes, the authors added Dr. Lipkin for safety in numbers. In his own mind, he brings a lot of gravitas because he is involved with gain of function. I think it adds weights. <clears throat> Dr. Gary testified that he agreed with Dr. Holmes, stating, I mean, I think I must have agreed generally about it because I did concur with adding him as an author. I'm not sure I agree with every rationale there. I'm not sure that the gain of function really adds much weight. Dr. Anderson testified that he agreed with Dr. Holmes, stating, I think he is and, you know, he has done important work and included collaborated, including collaborate, including collaborated with Chinese authors. He's a well-known individual within sort of the emerging infectious diseases field. So from that perspective, adding Ian as an author, yes, that helps add to the weight of the paper and the authors. And like, look, these are really experts to have looked at this. Yes. Five, a flawed scientific analysis. The conclusions of proximal origin rest on three main arguments. One, the presence of a non-optimal RBD and that RBD appearing in other viral sequences, particularly pangolins. Two, the presence or furin cleavage sites in other coronaviruses. And three, the concept that any laboratory manipulation would have used an already published viral backbone. Each of these arguments is flawed and rests on unsupported assumptions. Prior to completing the final scientific analysis on February 8th, Dr. Holmes wrote to his co-authors and said, suggestion is to redraft the doc and make it more of a letter and come down more on the natural origin given the pangolin and glycan stuff. Sound okay? Should I start on that today? It is unclear whether that suggestion came from or if the authors believed it, but those are two data points they relied on to wrongly downplay the possibility of a lab leak. Considering the involvement of Dr. Fauci, Dr. Collins, and Dr. Farrar, it is a safe assumption that the suggestion to come down more on natural origin came from one of them. The receptor binding domain. <clears throat> While the analyses above suggest that SARS-CoV-2 may bind human ACE2 with high affinity, Computational analyses predict that the interaction is not ideal and the RBD sequence is different from those shown on SARS-CoV-2 to be optimal for receptor binding. Thus, the high affinity binding of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein to human AC2 is most likely the result of natural selection on a human or human-like AC2 that permits another optimal binding solution to arise. This is strong evidence that the SARS-CoV-2 is not the product of purposeful manipulation. So that's the original proximal origin paper that was published. <clears throat> uh, as discussed on, on May 26, 2020, working paper from the Defense Intelligence Agency, this argument rests on assumptions rather than facts. Instead of relying on scientific data or evidence, proximal origin assumes a methodology and intent of a fictional scientist. In essence, proximal origin argues that this fictional scientist would want to design the most optimal RBD possible, which COVID-19 does not possess. This argument was related by Dr. Anderson. 
we knew based on you know much of the great research that Dr. Barrick did <clears throat> with SARS one is that based on what were predictions of here's the optimal way in which the SARB SARS coronavirus will bind into the human AC2 receptor. That is described in the literature, right? So if you were to design a new receptor binding domain, presumably you would choose that, right? That would be the logical way to do it. And SARS-2 doesn't have that at all. It has a completely different solution, right? Which we had never seen before. Yet it still appeared to bind well to human ACE2 receptor, which we know, yes, it does bind well to the human ACE2 receptor, receptor, but it binds well to a lot of other ACE2 receptors, not just human. So yeah, that's the idea behind, like if you were to build this from scratch, you would take the solution that you already know works well because that's how science is done. Molecular biology is being done. The working paper outlines that a more common approach is to stimulate, simulate nature in the lab by taking novel coronaviruses and simulating recombination events, even by inserting furin cleavage sites instead of optimizing the virus. This was explained further during a transcribed interview. He testified, they blocked it, I don't know what it is. Well, they've been pointed out that the receptor binding domain would not have been predicted to be very good or optimal for infecting human cells. And for me, that implied an assumption that if SARS-CoV-2, whatever was in the lab, that it probably would have come about in a way where one might have a a priori designed a sequence to infect human cells. And that certainly is possible. But we showed examples of the literature of novel coronaviruses being developed in different ways. And what we what we found was more of an empirical approach where one might take a backbone virus, a coronavirus from one species, and insert part of a coronavirus from another species to observe the effects, and all serving stated purposes of developing medical countermeasures or improving public health. But what we saw in scientific practice was much more of an empirical approach and not not an approach by design to achieve a specific function. Question, so the reality was scientists more taking an approach to try to mimic natural recombination to see what those viruses would do in a human population? Answer, yes. Question, not with the stated goal of making the most effective coronavirus possible. Hey, that's right. When asked if the arguments in proximal origin regarding RBD rests on assumptions, Dr. Gary testified, I suppose... Again, according to the discovery of the similar RBD and naturally occurring pangolin virus is largely irrelevant. Dr. Gary agreed that this was an entirely plausible outcome. Q, if I in theory were to take that particular pangolin spike protein and attach it to a backbone of some other virus, that product that I would have created, though theoretically in a lab, would itself have six key amino acid mutations being discussed here, right? I know that's a hypothetical question. Answer the way you said it hypothetically, sure. Further, Dr. Gary admitted that the pangolin sequences aren't interesting, but they, you know, by themselves don't tell you that the virus was natural or from a lab. When asked if the arguments regarding the RBD put forth in proximal origin ruled out a lab origin, somebody testified, not in my assessment. It is clear the science and the facts do not support proximal origins conclusion that COVID-19's RBD is strong evidence that SARS-CoV-2 is not the product of purposeful manipulation. So then they go into the kind of the foreign cleavage site. I mentioned something from the paper. The central pillar of proximal organs argument is that science would find a furin cleavage site in related coronaviruses. This is a clear assumption with no proof or evidence. 
Further, there has still not been a furin cleavage site discovered in viruses. the lineage COVID-19 belongs to, despite more than three years of searching. So they've never found a furin cleavage site in any other virus in nature. Dr. Anderson confirmed this, stating, the furin cleavage site itself, which we had not seen in viruses before. Dr. Gary confirmed the stating SARS-CoV-2 so far is the only SARS-CoV virus that has a furin cleavage site. And Dr. Lipkin stated, so amongst the SARS-like viruses, and there are many coronaviruses, this was the first time that we'd seen that furin cleavage type. When asked, have there been any other SARS-CoV, SARS-related viruses that has a furin cleavage site, Dr. Farzan stated, no. Finally, when asked, has there been a furin cleavage site Furin site observed in any viruses in the SARS-CoV-virus family other than COVID-19, not to my knowledge. Again, according to the working paper, this argument rests on a false, false assumption that all research is published. Dr. Gary testified, is it possible, maybe not probable, but possible that scientists do experiments they don't publish? Answer, sure. And as Dr. Lipkin testified, question, do you know of any researchers that don't publish everything they sequence? And the answer is yes. And as Dr. Farzan testified, Q, have you ever conducted or known someone to conduct an experiment they did not publish or make public? Answer, sure. Further, many involved in proximal origin or the February 1st conference call believe that it is possible to manipulate a novel coronavirus in a lab to force the selection of a furin cleavage site. In an email, Dr. Gary wrote, bottom line, I think if you put selection pressure on a cove without a furin cleavage site in cell culture, you could well generate a furin cleavage site after a number of passages. Over Slack, Dr. Gary also stated, you can synthesize bits of genes de novo with perfect precision and then add them back in without a trace. The idea was re reiterated by Dr. Fouchier, who stated, molecular biologists like myself can generate perfect copies of viruses without leaving a trace, e.g. the BAM high site. Further, Dr. Gary testified that it would be, be possible to generate a furin cleavage site in a lab. Question, but a novel coronavirus, if I just bring in a novel coronavirus, it's still possible I could create a furin cleavage site. Answer, I mean, it's possible. I know, I, you know, it's possible. Additionally, Dr. Gary testified that a scientist could conduct serial passaging of a virus in animals to generate a furin cleavage site, and this virus would be undisguisable from a neutral one. Question, would past evolutionary passage in an animal in a laboratory look the same as evolutionary passage in an animal in the wild? Answer, in principle, yes. It's a very difficult experiment you are describing, though. Question, are people capable of conducting the experiment? Answer, they are capable of doing it there would have been a reason why they would want to do that. And just doing it on some random bat viruses is probably not something most scientists would consider. Question, could you put enough laboratory selection pressure on a novel coronavirus to generate a furin cleavage site? Answer, I mean, it is, is it possible? It's in the realm of, it's something, I mean, almost everything is possible. Dr. Anderson agreed when asked, you could put enough pressure on a coronavirus to create a furin cleavage site. He responded, I think as a hypothesis, I think it's a good hypothesis. No known SARS-related coronavirus or SARB coronavirus, covirus, the lineage that COVID-19 belongs to has a furin cleavage site, and none have been found since the beginning of the pandemic. I'll re 
repeat that sentence. No known SARS-related coronavirus or SARS-CoV-virus, the lineage that COVID-19 belongs to, has a furin cleavage site, and none have been found since the beginning of the pandemic. Further, those involved with proximal origin believed it to be possible to artificially create a furin cleavage site in the lab. When asked if the arguments regarding the furin cleavage site put forth in proximal origin ruled out a lab origin, they testified, no, not in my mind. Then they go into the third point, the novel backbone. The authors are correct in that COVID-19 does not derive from any published backbone, but they once again assume that all data has been previously published, a faulty assumption. As noted in the working paper, recent technological innovations make it easier than ever for scientists to develop new reverse genetic systems. When asked for more detail, testified. So the backbone was it. And then authors don't believe their own argument regarding an existing viral backbone or reverse genetic system. Through the select subcommittee's investigation, we discovered that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins were intimately involved in the day-to-day creation of proximal origin that the authors were so comfortable with their involvement, they coined the term Bethesda boys to describe the nation's leading health officials, dubbed Dr. Farrar proximal origin's father figure, and Dr. Lipkin as an author mid-draft to give gravitas to the paper. And each of the primary scientific points in proximal origin are fatally flawed. Publication of proximal origin. On February 6, 2020, Dr. Farrar apparently first suggested publishing proximal origin. According to Dr. Holmes, Dr. Farrar asked. So he goes through and wants to publish this. Then right before Proximal Origin was made public, it received the final publication push and the seal of approval from Dr. Collins. In an email from Dr. Holmes, he recounted Dr. Collins writing, this is really well done, and I would argue ought to be made public ASAP. Four hours later, Dr. Farrar and Dr. Collins signed off on publishing Proximal Origin. According to Dr. Holmes, all came together very quickly in the end. Jeremy Farrar and Francis Collins are very happy. Works for me. Rejection from Nature. On February 12th, 2020, Dr. Anderson began pitching proximal origin to nature. In his first pitch, as described above, he wrote, prompted by Jeremy Farrar, Tony Fauci, and Francis Collins, Eddie Holmes, Andrew Rambo, Bob Gary, Ian Lipkin, and myself, have been working through much of the primary genetic data to provide agnostic and scientifically informed hypothesis around the origins of the virus. We are not right finished with the prior write-up, and we still have some loose ends, but I wanted to reach out to you to see if this might be a potentiality, potentially of an interest. We see this more as a commentary hypothesis as opposed to a more long-form letter or article. Senior editor at Nature, Claire Thomas, responds, yes, please. On February 17, 2020, Dr. Holmes, on behalf of Dr. Anderson, submitted a manuscript titled The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2 to Nature for Review. Later that day, Dr. Anderson followed up writing, Sorry for contracting you again. The manuscript was put on virological, virological this morning, which has created, which has created some urgency from Welcome, Who, and others. This is an extremely rapidly evolving situation, which has unfortunately been amplified due to some recent speculations from parts of the U.S. media. Media. Miss Thomas responded, "I have two reviewers looking at it already." The authors themselves recommended reviewers, according to Dr. Gary. So you know when you submit, you'll need to suggest reviewers to include and excludes. Seems easy. There are some natural choices for both lists. 
Dr. Holmes responded, oh, yes, the reviewers are easy. I think this is a slam dunk. These comments raise serious bias concerns with both the review of proximal origin and the peer review process generally. Neither Dr. Anderson nor Dr. Gary knew which suggested reviewers were included or excluded. On February 20th, 2020, Nature officially denied proximal origin for publication. Ms. Thomas stated, we've now obtained two reference reports on the paper and have had the opportunity to, to discuss them with our chief editor, Magdalena Skipper. In light of the advice I received, I'm afraid we have decided we cannot offer to publish in Nature. The primary reason for denial, as stated by Ms. Thomas, was one of our referees raised concerns about whether such a piece would feed or quash the conspiracy theories. According, regarding the denial, Dr. Anderson testified, did you ever get told why Nature originally rejected proximal origin? Answer, they, I think they rejected the paper because I think the reviewers felt that probably, I mean, reviewer two was pretty critical about our conclusions of the paper and felt they should have been stronger. And I think he had relayed those concerns to the editor. I think that would have been the reasons. The conclusions that, what do you mean? Answer, basically, we remember the submitted version that was open-ended, agnostic as to whether it had been a lab passage of the two versions of the original origin that we discussed. And I think the editor probably felt that was too open-ended. That was clearly which, especially reviewer two pointed out in their review, which we disagreed with. Then it finally got reaccepted. Oh, nature medicine. On February 27th, Dr. Anderson submitted proximal origin to Nature Medicine. In his submission, Dr. Anderson wrote, I believe Claire over at Nature might have mentioned our commentary on the proximal origins of the COVID-19 virus. So he goes in. Let's see if I can get over this while reading. Then there was an anonymous whistleblower. Through its investigation, the select sub... I'm just kind of moving forward with this thing. I've been talking for an hour. Through its investigation, the Select Subcommittee learned that Dr. Collins pushed for publication and approved the substance of proximal origin. Nature rejected proximal origin because it didn't downplay the lab leak theory enough. And the authors amended the, their paper to do just that to ensure approval by Nature Medicine. Critical reception and use of proximal origin. Since proximal origin was published, it has been accessed 5.84 million times. Further, it has garnered the third most attention of any paper of a similar age across all journals and the second most attention of any paper of a similar age in nature medicine. Finally, it has received the fifth most attention of any paper ever tracked. It has also been used to unequivocally rule out the possibility of COVID-19 was the result of a lab leak. On February 19th, 2020, proximal origin was cited in the letter in the Lancet titled, Statement in support of the scientists, public health professionals, and medical professionals of China combating COVID-19. Proximal origin was cited as proof that this coronavirus originated in wildlife. On March 17, 2020, Dr. Anderson's employer, Scripps Research, put out a press release regarding proximal origin titled, The COVID-19 Coronavirus Pandemic Has a Natural Origin, Scientists Say. Dr. Anderson is quoted in this release saying, we can firmly determine that SARS-CoV-2 originated through natural process. Dr. Farrar's organization, the Wellcome Trust, is also quoted in the release stating, they conclude that the virus is the product of natural evolution. The select subcommittee has learned that the NIH and the NIAID were keenly anticipating the release of proximal origin. On February 19th, 2020, the NIAID Office of Communications 
spoke internally regarding the paper, stating, the Office of Communications asked if we could alert them if this paper is accepted in a peer-reviewed journal. Do you know if the authors have been submitted to a journal? <clears throat> so they're definitely looking for it. Come out and then quote it. So it was used as like a propaganda piece, right? Look, we have a paper. It's out, and there's it's definitely not from a lab. On the next day, April 17th, 2020, Dr. Fauci cited proximal origin from the White House podium. Question, Mr. President, I wanted to ask Dr. Fauci, could you address these suggestions or concerns that this virus was somehow man-made, possibly came out of a laboratory in China? Dr. Fauci, there was a study recently that we can make available to you where a group of highly qualified evolutionary virologists looked at the sequences there and the sequences in bats as they evolved. And the mutations that it took to get to the point where it is now is totally consistent with a jump of, of a species from animal to a human. So I mean, the paper will be available. I don't have the authors right now, but we can make that available to you. So see, he's using that. He put it together to use it publicly. Dr. Fauci feigned ignorance regarding the paper, but this citation appears to be an attempt to satisfy Dr. Collins' concerns. Even more, after the briefing, a reporter directly asked which paper Dr. Fauci was citing, then was sent to Proximal Origin. The reporter wrote, Dr. Fauci on Friday said he would share a scientific paper with the press on the origin of the coronavirus. Can you, can you please help me get a copy of that paper? Dr. Fauci responded, here are the links to scientific papers and a commentary about the scientific basis of the origins of SARS-CoV-2 and lists proximal origin. Total piece of propaganda. <clears throat> Dr. Fauci later stated he, he may not have ever actually read Proximal Origin. This raises questions of why he would cite a paper he did not even read from the White House podium as proof COVID-19 was not the result of a lab leak. Through its investigation, the select subcommittee learned that Proximal Origin was used to downplay the possibility of COVID-19 emerge from a lab leak in Wuhan, China, and that the NIH and NIAID were keenly aware of its publication and, in fact, participated in its crafting. Conclusion. On January 31st, 2020, Dr. Fauci suggested directly to Dr. Anderson to draft a paper regarding a possible lab leak of COVID-19. Dr. Fauci warned that if Dr. Anderson determined COVID-19 was the result of a lab leak, then he would need to contact law enforcement. The next day, February 1st, this time on a conference call with 11 international scientists and included Dr. Collins and Dr. Tabak, Dr. Fauci again suggested drafting a paper regarding a possible lab leak. It was these two suggestions that prompted Dr. Anderson to begin drafting. A draft of what would become Proximal Origin was completed within hours. The stated goal of Proximal Origin, the paper suggested and prompted by Dr. Fauci, was to disprove the lab leak theory. Dr. Anderson stated that refuting a possible lab leak was how Proximal Origin got started. While the exact motives to want to downplay a, scientific, a specific theory are not clear, the author's communications suggest they wanted to avoid blaming China and defend gain-of-function research. Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins were intimately involved throughout the process, so much so that the authors coined the phrase Bethesda boys to describe them. The conclusions of proximal origin rest on three main arguments. The presence of a non-optimal RBD and that RBD appearing in other viral sequences, particularly pangolins. Two, the presence or of furin cleavage sites and other coronaviruses, and three, the concept that any laboratory manipulation would have used an already published viral backbone. Each of these arguments is flawed and rests upon unsupported assumptions. 
When it came time to publish, Dr. Collins gave his approval for publication and said he was very happy with the final product. At first, the journal Nature rejected proximal origin because it did not discount a lab leak strong enough. In order to ensure publication in Nature Medicine, the authors claim that no laboratory-based scenario is plausible, fulfilling Nature's critique in attempting to kill the lab leak hypothesis. After publication, proximal origin was used to downplay the lab leak hypothesis and call those who believe it may be true conspiracy theorists. Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins tracked the paper through the review and publication process. And finally, Dr. Collins expressed dismay that proximal origin did not successfully kill the lab leak theory. He subsequently asked Dr. Fauci if there's anything more they could do. The next day, Dr. Fauci directly cited proximal origin from the White House podium. On January 31st, 2020, Dr. Fauci prompted proximal origin, which his goal was to disprove the lab leak theory to avoid blaming China for the COVID-19 pandemic. Proximal origin employed fatally flawed science to achieve its goal. And finally, Dr. Collins and Dr. Fauci used proximal origin to attempt to kill the lab leak theory. This is the anatomy of a cover-up, massive cover-up. The fear and cleavage side is a giveaway. So I think that's a really important article. You can find this. You can just type that title in. You should be able to download the PDF. But uh, it shows that they were promoting fake science to then use it as propaganda. So these guys are totally involved in this and disinformation. These guys are the real disinformation specialists. That's the whole thing that's scary. But just using that, like you, it's totally sub subjective. My misinformation is your disinformation. It goes on and on. But uh, that's your tax dollars of work. Billions and billions of dollars. Fauci distributed billions and billions of dollars over his, his tainted career. Poison millions of people. Thank you for listening.